Hey guys, really excited to be back here with you. Today we're talking about what it looks like to thrive as a homeschooling family. A lot of you guys have either stepped into homeschooling for the first time or you're considering homeschooling or maybe you've been a veteran homeschooler and you just feel like you still don't have the hang of it. If you fall into any of those categories, today's episode is going to be really helpful for you. I just want to remind you, we are a nonprofit ministry and we are supported by you as a listener. If we've been helpful for you at all on your spiritual journey, I'm just asking you humbly, would you consider partnering with us monthly? I know some guys are like, hey, Jared, I can't really give much. I can only give 10 bucks a month. And that might stop you from giving because you don't feel like it's enough. Man, I promise you even $10 a month is a really helpful gift. So if you'd consider partnering with us again, it would be really helpful. We're trying to expand our team, grow the ministry so that we can reach more guys around the world. You can do that by going to dadtired.com forward slash give. Again, that's dadtired.com forward slash give. Before we jump into all that, though, I want to thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's episode. Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians who pay one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. As a member, you're going to have biblical, affordable health care where you're free to choose your doctors, treatments, and hospitals. Consider this, a medical need arises, an emergency comes up. You don't have to check in with an insurance company to figure out what hospital to go to. You just go. After the care is received, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries. They'll notify members to pray for you and to send money directly to you. It's going to help you pay those bills. It's not insurance. It's a community of Christians paying one another's medical bills. It's affordable with monthly sharing plans that start at $250 for a family of three or more. There's no network restrictions. You get to choose the healthcare providers that work best for you. They also have online resources available to help you choose a quality provider, to help you price medical procedures, and 24-7 access to medical professionals by phone or email to get medical advice before you go to the doctor, which is going to save you time and money. You think about the verse in Philippians 2.4 where it says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And that's exactly what the community at Samaritan Ministries does. If you're interested in becoming part of this community, you can go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired. Well, there are so many people, a lot of my peers who are finding themselves as homeschool parents (laughs) this school year, which just started and they're terrified. And so I'm sure your book sales probably are through the roof right now. People are probably looking for a lot of resources (laughs) on how to homeschool. We've been homeschooling for, I think this is our either our fifth or sixth year we're going into. So we were doing it before all the craziness hit. I just did an Instagram poll and was asking our audience, how many of you are considering homeschooling for the first time this year? And it was hundreds and hundreds of families. So that's, you know, our audience, but also just in my little town here, sure. how many people have pulled their kids and have started to homeschool for a variety of reasons. We won't get into all the politics of why people are doing it, but the reality is there are a lot of people who are homeschooling this year and feel yeah. totally overwhelmed. So you wrote a book about it called the four hour school day, which just sounds wonderful. Uh, <laughs> tell us what was your motivation for writing the book and how'd you find yourself here? Well, you know, it's funny because I, the book was decided on before any of this hit and God is so good and his timing and all of that. I had no idea, but I think the biggest thing is I wanted to debunk the myths that often accompany the idea of homeschooling. People, sometimes they like the idea until they think it's going to take all day or I'm not qualified or the list goes on. And I wanted to debunk all of that and show parents how doable homeschooling really is. So that's why I wrote the book. 
Well, and you also have some homeschool experience. So I'm going to let you pat yourself on the back for a little bit. Tell us your credentials when it comes to homeschooling. You got some skin in the game here. I have some skin in the game. Yes. We've homeschooled all eight of our kids from the beginning, five boys and three girls and are graduated so far. So I've got a little bit of that hindsight. I spent decades just keeping my hand to the plow, doing the thing that God put in front of me. And it is one of the single best decisions I ever made. My husband and I ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Eight kids. I am so jealous. I wish I would have started earlier. I think I could have eight. I don't know. My wife's like, you're yeah, easy for you to say, you know, did you know you wanted to have a big family? Was that part of the plan? That's kind of the ongoing joke is that my husband wanted to (laughs) announce to the world we were going to have two and even what order they were going to come in and how far apart and all of that. And I said nothing because I wanted 10. So our joke (laughs) is that he wanted two and I wanted 10 and we compromised at eight. Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. Did you come from a big family? I didn't No, No, I've got one brother and one sister and he has two brothers and one sister. So yeah. So fun. You know, one of the things that we have four, which nowadays people are like, what are you Mormon? Are you like, what do you, what are you on it? Like what's your, (laughs) you know, which is four. I don't feel like four is a ton, but you know, it's 50% of what you have, you know, so it doesn't feel like a ton of kids. But a lot of people have asked, you know, like, why do you have so many kids? And, you know, was that a plan? I love big families. I didn't grow up in a big family. My wife didn't grow up in a big family, but I, we had interacted. I was a youth pastor for the first two years of my ministry. And so any kid that came from a big family was just different in a good way, like in a good way, they just seemed to have a more selfless approach to life. They understood the concept of being part of a team. They were just such quality kids. And then we got to know their families and spent some time. I'm like, man, I, I just want a lot of kids. We actually, we started with just the same thing. Your husband, like, let's just have two. Right. And then uh, we're like, these things are so awesome. These they are. are so awesome. I want more of these. That's what we, you know, that's the thing. My husband, at one point, we kind of had to like decide, are we going to keep doing yeah. this or not doing this? So after three, we were kind of going back and forth talking. I was praying a lot and mm-hmm. trying really hard not to, I didn't want to put pressure on him because I thought I don't want him to do this if he really doesn't want to do this. Yeah. And so I was really, really trying to give it to the Lord. And, and then finally he just said, you know, we can talk all day about what this person says about it, what this person says, because at the end of the day, it matters what God says. And so yeah. he said, I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to look for what God has to say about children. And really what he was looking for was permission to end the thing. So, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and he didn't find it. And he yeah. came back and he's like, it's not there. No, God's using the family. He loves to use the family to change the world. He does. I believe that with all my heart, that the pillar of society is the church and the family. And when they are having problems, society has problems. And so I think this is where the church needs to come back to recognizing that children are a blessing and then to invest accordingly, you know? Yes. At the end of the day, they are the future. This is what we're called to. This is what God has called us to. And our role in our kids' lives is absolutely crucial. And it's such a privilege to be able to invest in a human being from the very beginning like that. I'm not sure what greater kingdom work we can be part of. I agree. Um, And, you know, and there's a lot of people who aren't able to have kids and uh, for whatever, maybe you're single or whatever. And so that's not a knock on that, but there is a deep sense of, you know, just discipleship at the rawest, most purest level is raising another human being to know and to love God and to release them into the world. I mean, I I was a discipleship pastor for six and a half years at a large church and the discipleship in that context doesn't 
compare to the kind of discipleship that happens within a home with an intentional mom and dad who are raising disciples to absolutely it's very powerful and that's why it's constantly under attack yeah by the culture by the enemy and even the church sometimes is just not getting the clear message out about the importance of this role and the importance of family and you know at the end of the day my book is really about growing a strong healthy biblical family. And Mm. so, you know, yes, it's within the context and with a lot of talking about their education, but it also, I think, reveals how a strong family life does educate our children so much more naturally. And so in so many ways that you can't get from a book, you can't get from a, from a teacher. These are things that have to happen that mom and dad need to pass on. And so, you know, when our kids, when they graduate and they move on with their lives at the end of the day, they're the most important things that they can have, of course, is their relationship with God, which is what we model for them. And as, and we disciple them in, because that's what we're called to, but really it's, you were talking about teamwork, communication, What do healthy relationships look like? Well, guess what? It starts in the home. Our kids learn what healthy relationships look like as we teach them what it looks like amongst themselves. Like when we're raising our kids, nurturing sibling relationships, we are teaching them how to be the body of Christ. Yeah. We're teaching them how to minister to the weaker. You know, we've got an older child who serves a younger child or a sick sibling. Those are all ways that are just... They're not, like I said, you can't teach these things out of books. These are things we are responsible as parents to model and to teach our kids. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I had somebody reach out to me. I want to get into the homeschool side of things because I know a lot of people are really interested in that right now. But before we jump into that, I do want to ask your perspective on this. Somebody reached out to me on Instagram the other day and said, "My, we're considering having more children, but we're just terrified mm-hmm. with where the world is right now. And it feels a little bit irresponsible to like bring, or I don't know if they use the irresponsible, but I've heard that language before. Like it seems scary or maybe even irresponsible to bring more humans into this. Are we just setting them up for doom and gloom here? What would you say to that from your perspective? Well, from my perspective, God never changes his mind about children. He says they're always a blessing and there's nothing. We don't know what the future holds. Only God knows that. And there have been times in history when it was bleaker than it looks right yeah. now. Yeah. And had the church just said, okay, we're not going to have any more kids. What would have happened? Okay. Yeah. And I've been actually, I just put a story on Instagram with exactly this information in mm. it. I basically said, you know, the culture is saying, this is a terrible place. Don't have children. The church is saying it's all going to implode. Don't have children. But what does God say? Well, you look back in Jeremiah and when his people went into exile, which was, that isn't not a positive thing. That was a very much like, okay, we don't know how long we're going to be here. This is, we're basic, we're in exile. And what God's instructions to them were to plant your fields plant your gardens, build your houses, have children, and Mm. then find spouses for them so that they can get married and you can have lots of grandchildren. So his instructions stayed the same, regardless of what was going on. Because, you know, as the church expands, the kingdom of God expands. And I believe that's how God is going to expand his kingdom on the earth is through his people. That's, that's who he uses. And so as we invest in the next generation and it feels like, oh, their little babies are so vulnerable. You don't think of them as dragon slayers. Mm. 
but that's what we're raising. You know, I don't mm. know if you saw that meme that was going around that said someone was apologizing to someone that they were having to have children in these dystopian times. And they said, why would you apologize for being able to raise dragon slayers when there are dragons to be slain? Uh -huh. And at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. It's hard to imagine that when you're carrying the child and the child is small and vulnerable. It is not long before you are sending them out into the world and they truly are making a difference. Wow. That is so well said and so beautiful because the point isn't that, well, I hope God can use my child in spite of everything that's going on. It's God's strategy for exactly. redeeming the world yes. is the family of God expanding Absolutely. all over the world. Yes. And so we don't shell back in fear. No, we, we no. move. We, the kingdom of God always is advancing. That's and that's right. because we know how the story ends. That's right. So we don't need to be in fear. We, no. we keep sending out the lions. The dragon slayers, because we know how the story ends. And That's despite right. what the evil in the world tells us we should be afraid of, we know how the story ends. We know right. who our king is. That's right. God is a God of hope. So this yeah. whole idea that we're going to curl up into a ball and stop living is just, it's a challenge. Like it is like, it challenges our Very faith. Challenging. But that's what we're called to. Yes. And, and I believe that God will give us the strength to do it. But we really have to press into him and we have to hang on to each other as a community, you know, as a church body and encourage each other in what we know to be true. Wow. You know what? I was telling you before we hit record, my wife is on the verge of likely losing her job as a nurse. And again, I don't want to get into all the political stuff on this episode that people don't come here to hear my political opinion. They just want to hear about dad stuff. Although those two things seem to be blending more and more they these do. days, yeah. but my wife is likely to lose her job here very soon. And she went to a church and they, they were talking about religious exemptions and things like that. They, they were kind of putting on a presentation. It wasn't a church that we attend, but we went there and right. the, the, the church was filled with people and the pastor who we didn't know, we didn't know anything about it, but he was offering that same message of hope in these dark times. Mm -hmm. And my wife said she just filled up with tears because there was a deeper sense of camaraderie among believers. Yes. And there's something so beautiful about that. It's easy. I don't want to be offensive in this way, but sometimes our churches in the good times can feel a little bit country clubbish. We're just all kind of kumbaya. But when the the church in China, the underground church in China, the Christians in Afghanistan, like these other places where there's persecution. And then the way that Christians come together as a deep sense of family, they are experiencing community on levels that I don't think we have necessarily in our lifetime as Christians experienced. And so there is something beautiful about standing next to another brother and sister and saying, in the midst of these hard times, I'm with you, brother and sister, and we are together to see the kingdom of God advance. There's something really powerful about that. There really is. And we know that history has proven over and over and over again, that whenever God's people are being pressed in on or persecuted, that is when the church explodes. Yeah. And so for every bad thing we see, we can think, oh my goodness, the church is going to explode. Mm. You know, God is a God of hope. He is powerful. He is on the throne. He's sovereign. He's good. He's still in control. And we have to live like he is. I'm getting all fired up. I didn't even know. I thought we were talking about homeschooling. You know, but I'm now I'm getting all fired up. I feel like you go preach somewhere. This is wonderful. Okay. But people are like, can you get to the homeschool stuff, Jared? Because today I'm trying to figure out. Math? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to teach my kids math. Um, so I, you know, I don't know, I guess the best way to tackle this. I imagine that there are a lot of parents listening right now who are either considering homeschooling or they just jumped in. Right. They've, they've started the school year and they're like, 
we went to our orientation last night. So this is our fifth or sixth time through it. I can't remember how many times we've gone through it, but we come home with a packet and we were on, on the drive home and my wife opened it and she said, I feel so bad for the new parents who are jumping in <laughs> because I remember feeling how overwhelmed. You right. know, I remember feeling like this is so overwhelming. Looking at this packet, it's just like, yes. we're part of classical conversations. So we're part of a co-op of people. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh man, this is a lot to take in. Am I going to be able to do this? Maybe let's just start debunking some of the things that parents are feeling right now. So one thing is if you're considering it or you are just starting it, one lie that is often being told maybe to ourselves or from other people is you're not qualified to teach. Did you go to school to be a teacher? Why do you feel qualified to teach your kids and educate them? What would you say to that? Well, I would say, first of all, that you're more qualified than you realize. It is a well-known and accepted, I guess you'd call it a fact, that when you do something for 10,000 hours or more, you're an expert in Mm. that particular thing, considered Mm. an expert. Okay. By the time your child is six years old, you have spent 16,000 hours with them. Wow. So by the time they're kindergarten age, right around 13,000 hours. So you're already an expert in your child. Okay. So Mm. you know, your child better than anyone. You're more invested in them than anyone. And you're more invested in their future than anyone else. At the end of the day, your care for them far exceeds even the best teacher out there because that teacher is not the parent. And so I always just want parents to know that your role in your child's life is absolutely crucial. We've kind of covered that a little bit, but it ties right into their education as well. At the end of the day, really, it's about you just being tuned into your kids. It's not about getting everything perfect. I was not a perfect homeschooling mom. I've never been. I never will be. I've never had one perfect homeschooling day. It's been just, Lord, I'm here. I'm showing up. Show me what to do. Yeah. What do you want me to do with these kids? And he gives us wisdom. He gives us For me, I had to keep things very simple because we had a large family. And I realized that as I did that, that God was actually using that simplicity really Mm -hmm. powerfully for our particular family, because I realized that their education was about a lot more than just math and reading, writing and history and science and all of that. It was so much bigger than that. And it was really about living life alongside of each other. And I like to tell parents, you know, you know, a lot like If you just taught your child everything that you know, Mm. they would be ready for life, right? Mm. You know how to plan meals and grocery shop and do a budget and buy a house and buy a car and start a business or start a podcast or, you know, whatever. We all have things that we can teach our kids, but at the end of the day, we're all functioning adults, right? And that's what we're wanting. We want our, our kids to become, to be functioning adults. And the math and the, in the English and all of that, it's part of that picture, but it's a much smaller part than we yes. think. Yes. And so I guess at the end of the day, I just want you to understand that even if you send your child to school, you are responsible before the Lord for everything that they're learning, whether you're teaching it to them or someone else is teaching it to them. And so what I love about homeschooling is I know what my kids are learning. Yeah. And not learning, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, today they did not learn multiplication because that did not go well. That's okay. There's <laughs> yeah. always tomorrow, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, we live in a day and age when there are so many resources. The trick will be, like you said, not getting overwhelmed by it. And that's why I think it's really important for parents to take their time transitioning. I actually just did a podcast 
on one is called feeling forced to homeschool because there's some feelings that come with it that are different than when you said, I decided to homeschool Hmm. versus I feel forced because I don't like what's happening over here. Yeah, Yeah. There's some grief that goes with it because you're losing a certain amount of community and the vision of what you thought your kid's education and your family life was going to look like now it's changing. So you've got to give yourself time to adjust and you've got to give your kids time. And then the next one I did was transitioning from traditional school to homeschool. And it's more about a transition of the heart than it is about do A, B, C, and D. There's lots of that information out there. You can go to your state homeschool organization, HSLDA, and find out those basic things and your state laws and all of that. But your heart and your kids' hearts, you are nurturing them from, and your own heart from one place to another place. And Mm -hmm. we have to walk with our kids through that. And so just being aware of certain things and understanding that there's going to be some emotions to work through and things like that. We want to make that transition well, so that homeschooling goes, it'll go much better if we take the time to walk through that together. Yeah. You know, and for when we first started, we felt that, and my wife is like ridiculously smart. So I'm like, why do you feel intimidated? Like our kids are half as smart as you. I was scared for myself. Like, I don't have anything to teach my kids, (laughs) but our kids, but if you can teach them. But one thing that I heard somebody say this, but in classical conversations in particular, but I know this is true really for all, for many of the homeschool kind of ways that you would go about it, but there's a re-education for the parents. Uh, So we're not just educating our kids, we're re-educating parents. I mean, so many of us went through school and we're like, did I learn anything? Uh, We're we're taught how to test take, right? That's kind of the way the model set up. Shove in a bunch of information that week to take a test and then you take your test and then you move on. And most of us don't retain any of that information. If all of us went back and and retested on the stuff we were supposed to take in eighth grade, we'd probably fail, right? We didn't didn't remember any of that stuff. So I love the, if you come through with a perspective of like, this is also a re-education for you. Like if you're willing to learn, then you can teach your kids. Um, I've learned so much in the homeschool, so much. I've probably learned more in the last five years homeschooling our kids than I did my whole 12 years of K through 12. So I mean, yep. I totally agree. I think that's the other thing that's really great that you brought that point back out. And that is that we need to just be willing to learn right alongside of our kids. So we're not only learning the material and we don't even have to learn all the material they're learning. I am a big fan of encouraging independence as early Mm -hmm. as possible, just because, you know, for our situation, especially we needed, the kids needed to be able to. You're outnumbered. You're outnumbered. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can't spend all my time with each and every one. So, you know, I was available and all of that, but at the end of the day, we're also learning about our kids yeah. as, you know, we're going through different seasons and they're developmentally always changing and our circumstances change. It's the beauty of homeschooling is it's flexible to work around what season you're in. When, when, when I had six kids, nine and under, we did school three days a week. It's hmm. all I could get done. And I prayed about it. And it was like, the I kept sh- feeling like a failure because I was really wanting four. It's what I really, really wanted. Hmm. Lord, I just I'm trying to do four. It just doesn't seem to be happening. And he just basically said, can you just be content with three mm. and just trust me? And so that's a place that he brought me back to over and over again, because we're always questioning, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And so I would pray about it. And every time the Lord would bring me back to that story about the loaves and the fishes, mm. Jesus told the disciples to bring him what they had, not what they didn't have. Right. So we bring him what we have and he makes it enough, more than enough. 
I saw him multiply my Mm. efforts and that's something only he can do. And I did not have to kill myself to do it. My thing was, I really wanted to enjoy my kids as well. I, I thought we can do this homeschooling thing and I can still enjoy them. I, if I'm a stressed out mom, it's going to ruin the whole thing. It's mm. going to, we need to keep a sense of peace in our household. So I just tried to pursue the things that brought life into our home, brought life to our family. And I kind of figured if 80% of it was enjoyable and 20% was kind of just pushing through and that that was a good ratio for me. So I just wow. kind of kept that in the back of my head. And that seemed to be when it started getting lopsided, I would step back and say, okay, what needs to be tweaked? You know, do I need to change something? Do I need to streamline something? But really what we did was kindergarten to eighth grade, pretty much they could have their schoolwork done by noon. If we Mm. started around nine and I mean, if they're in kindergarten, zero to 30 minutes. Yeah, no problem. And it just sort of, we, we took an unhurried approach. I had, I have another little book called the unhurried homeschooler, and it's about not rushing into schoolwork right at kindergarten or pre-K, but taking your time and doing it as your child is ready. Because at at the end of the day, those kids are actually, they do not fall behind, even if they're not reading in first grade yet, or even second grade yet. It's eventually they all learn to read. I had one that took till he was almost I think he was around nine Mm -hmm. and another one wanted to start reading between four and five. So there was that broad range and they all have their own timetable and it's just being tuned into them and knowing what they're ready for, knowing when they're burnout, knowing when they need a break. And then when they got into high school, that was more like they would go maybe four hours, sometimes a little more, depending on what they were trying to accomplish. In the factory setting of public school in particular, there wouldn't have been that option that you have to stay on track. You got to flow with the system if you don't. And that leads to so much discouragement for kids who are, they can't keep up with the pace. I personally love the flexibility. You know, this child is a little bit behind in this subject. Let's take the time. Let's not rush it. Let's figure out how God's working in them. You know, there's so much beauty. I meant to say this up front because I know there's going to be people listening who are going to say, you know, it must be nice for you guys, but both of us are working and mom's working, dad's working. We just don't even have the option to stay home and homeschool our kids. And so, I've always been hesitant to even bring up the subject, even though I'm so passionate about it. I don't want to make any parent feel like they're less than if this isn't an option for them. A lot of families, both parents are working or choose to work or want to work or have to work, whatever. And so do you have any thoughts on that? No, you don't have to, but do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd actually love to share those because I've I've been hearing that a lot. I'm actually doing a homeschool informational meeting tonight in our community. We've got some stuff going on at the schools and a bunch of people pulled their kids out and they're exploring the idea of homeschooling. And I can't lie to someone and say, you can both work full-time and homeschool your kids. I think that's probably a stretch because it does require some time from us. Now, my husband and I, we made the choice early on, which meant we made some sacrifices and not, I know everybody's in a different place, but I would challenge you to just step back, pray about it, ask God to show you is this something he might have for you? And if so, he can make a way. Is Can you move to one of you to part-time or one of you working from home only in the afternoons and then the mornings can be given to the schoolwork with the kids? Um, there's a million different ways, I think, that people can make it work. Mm-hmm. But of course, I don't know your circumstances. We chose to get by on one car for a while because yep. it was important for us 
that's what we had decided was important and we did, and we felt led to do it. So I would just challenge you to just pray about it. If God has that for you, he is powerful and very able to make a way. So one of the chapters in my book, I talk about overcoming obstacles. And I just did a couple of podcasts on single moms. A lot of mm-hmm. people think a single mom can't homeschool her kids. Well, I had a mom of four who's been homeschooling her kids for years and she had fantastic ideas and all of that to share and a lot of encouragement. A lot is actually really encouraging for even a mom who wasn't single. But in, in my book, I have a book or a chapter on overcoming obstacles with testimonies from families with all different kinds of obstacles, you know, children with really severe handicaps and different things and how God made a way for them. And and so the questions they answer are, what was your obstacle? Why did you decide to go ahead and move forward with homeschooling? And what have the results been? Hmm. And it's literally like gives me goosebumps to read these testimonies because what it testifies is God's faithfulness. When he calls you to something, he's going to equip you to do it. So this whole idea that we're not qualified. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So if you're called, he's going to equip you and he will do it. Like you said, along the way, like if you've got a child in third grade and you're freaking out about homeschooling high school, stop, enjoy third grade. And just know that when that God's going to give you wisdom for today, and he's going to prepare you for tomorrow. Um, You can just pray about it and give it to him and enjoy your kids today. Man, that's so encouraging. So encouraging. I think that's going to be a breath of fresh air for a lot of people listening. And you're right. It does take some intentionality as a family to say, what do we value most? I had that conversation with my wife as recently as this morning over Mm -hmm. a cup of coffee with all the life circumstances that are being kind of put on us right now and changes. We just, you go back to what do we value? What are we, what has God called us to as a family? What do we value as a couple? And what are we trying to accomplish? And without any of that, you just kind of react. You're just reacting. I can't do it. I guess this is what we have to do. But when you set intentionality, this is who God's called us to be. These are the values of our family. Then you can be a little bit more intentional and say, maybe we have one less car. Maybe we move into a different town, Um, which seems so radical to a lot of people. Like you're going to move just to homeschool. Well, maybe because our highest value is this. This is what we're trying to do. And so maybe it means we have to move to a different town or a different state, or maybe we have to get rid of a car. Maybe we have to move houses. Like these are feel big, but in the kingdom, when it's like, well, our house is going to be come and gone. We're just, we're sojourners in this world. And so, you know, maybe a car who cares comes and goes or jobs or whatever retirement benefits are different. Ultimately we're about kingdom stuff that lasts for eternity. And we know a lot of that has to do with our kids and the legacy we're pouring into them and our grandkids. So we're making decisions, not about what kind of car I want to drive, but what do I want my great grandkids to be like? That's absolutely key because at the end of the day, you are investing in not just in your children, you're investing in your grandchildren and your great grandchildren. And I'm getting to see that now because I have seven grandkids wow. and only two kids have had any children yet. So oh, wow. yeah. you have to great start wow. and they're both homeschooling. And so I'm watching And I'm watching them, you know, they do some things differently. They do some things the same, but the values are there and the willingness to invest is there. And when you begin to see that next generation, which happens sooner than you think blink and the grandkids will be here all of a sudden you realize how huge your role in your kids' Mm. lives really, really was and is, and even continues even into adulthood because Our kids, my husband and I have a 
great relationship with every single one of our kids. Mm. And that didn't just happen. I mean, I believe, first of all, it's the grace of God, but he gave us wisdom and he laid it on our hearts to invest in those relationships above anything else. Those relationships came before math or reading or whatever, not that those things weren't important, but we really invested in relationships and we're reaping the benefits of that now. And that's something that you can't buy. Money can't buy that. Eternity is in the hearts of our kids. And think about this. Okay. Your kids, their spouses. Okay. So your kids affect their spouses. We've got a son getting married in 10 days. Wow. Our fourth married. So half will be married. Oh my gosh. Yes. But you see how that is impacting how we've raised them is impacting their marriage and how it impacts their job setting. So Mm -hmm. all the people that they come into contact with day to day, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year. This is huge. It's a ripple effect when you've got kids who are witnessing to coworkers and just being such a testimony of what it looks like to be a godly worker to be a good employee who shows up every day and works hard and is honest and has integrity and knows how to communicate and keeps a positive attitude at work. That is a blessing to every company that our kids work for. Yeah. Let's camp there for a second. Cause another myth is your kids must be socially awkward. You're not preparing them for the real world. You know, I've got so many passionate thoughts about this, but I'm not going to stand up on my soapbox here. But that is a myth. And, uh, you know, my kids are just going to be so awkward and they won't know how to they're, they're going to get into a real job and they won't know how to tr- talk to coworkers. And I can't even ask the question with a straight face. Um, but, yeah, you know, obviously you're ahead of the game from me. You know, you've got kids who are now married. You've got grandkids. You have kids in the workplace, kids who have graduated. Please debunk this myth from your perspective. <laughs> well, okay. I like to say, and I, and I talk about this in the four hour school day, that there's a difference. There's not in the dictionary, a difference, but I differentiated it in my mind so that I could explain it a little bit better. There's a difference between socialization and socializing. Hmm. Okay. To me, socialization is about conformity. And socializing is like what you and I are doing right now. Mm -hmm. We're having a conversation. We know how to keep the conversation going. We're good listeners. We're making eye contact. My kids could talk to little kids. They could talk to old people. It didn't matter because they went with me wherever I went. I went to Costco. I went to the grocery store. I went to the library and the post office. I had the kids with me. They watched me interact with cashiers and help at a store and other people who are shopping there, they just pick up on all of that. So, I mean, it's really about somebody said, once your kids are going to be as weird as you are. So (laughs) if you're awkward and we, you know, strange in social settings, there might, they might pick up some of that from you, but again, we can all learn, right? If we don't think we're really good at it, or we don't feel like we're outgoing enough, we can work on that a little bit for the sake of our kids. So we can teach them something better. And it's another area we can grow in. So That's a that's a very gracious way of saying it. Thank you for being so gracious. I I, I feel something in my chest. (laughs) When somebody asks me after over a quarter of a century of that being the first thing that people bring up, I I just want to say, well, so how's that working? You know what you're seeing coming from all that great socialization at school. Are you pleased with the results? Do you like what you're seeing? Because 
I, yeah, it's just, I, I, I get I get something in my chest. You know, it's just such a, I feel like it's such a weak argument. You know, just go volunteer at your local school in a classroom for a day and think, are those is that what I want my kids being socialized in? Not to say all kids are bad, or but it, I guess I would rather choose who my kids socialize with. Proverbs talks about that you you become who you hang out with. Yes. So our children become who they hang out with. So if we go ahead and, and send them, we don't really know what kind of influences happen. That's the that's one of the main reasons that I we decided to homeschool was because we felt like we're supposed to disciple our kids. Scripture is clear about that. And it talks about, you know, when you sit down and when you rise up and when yeah. you walk along the way. And to me, that looked very unhurried and it looked very much like a daily relationship, not them being gone eight hours a day. So yeah. in my mind, those two just didn't, they didn't jive. And so that's why we decided to do what we want to do. We wanted our kids to love learning. We yes, wanted yes. them to be basically lifelong learners. We wanted them to be resourceful, to know how to find out what it is they needed to know. And we wanted them to have a strong work ethic. And that's something we really worked to instill in them while they were growing up. And all of those things, those missions were accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thankful to say. I would just say for a mom and dad, just go on TikTok for an hour and, <laughs> and ask is this what I want my kids to be dominantly influenced by? Right, right. Uh, just ask yourself that question. Do I want my kids to be dominantly, because they will be, and who do I want to, the, to be the primary influencer of my children's life, especially for those of us parents who still have very young kids yes. and, and they still will be heavily influenced by us as mom and dad. And the, the reality is it's 2021 and the opportunities to socialize are oh, endless. They are. I mean, you can put are. your kids in so many things. That could be a temptation that we have to resist. Yes. You want to go down there? Cause I'm happy to what overly so, busy. Some people are going to hear that and wonder what you mean. So, but I, I, I think I know exactly what you mean, but I'd love to hear your perspective. Well, I think that because we're constantly questioning whether we're adequate or not, that is a nagging feeling that will probably never go away. And so you're going to have to constantly be telling yourself the truth that if God's called you to this, which he has, then he'll, he'll qualify you. And he is faithful to provide James one, my favorite passage. Any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault and it'll be given to him. But you have to believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man won't think he'll receive, he won't receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded. You, you can't, you can't serve two masters. So we have to stay intentionally focused on the Lord and his calling when it comes to this. And now I totally took a bunny trail and don't remember where I was going. <laughs> that's a, oh, that's a, yeah. Getting too busy. Yes. So what happens is we get that nagging feeling. And so we think, oh, we'll just put them in this and we'll put them in this and we'll do this and we'll do this. And then we'll, then maybe I'll feel better. Yeah. But really we're making a decision out of fear and no good decision comes from a place of fear. Yeah. So we have to make our decisions from a place of faith. And I always think of it like all these activities are like, you know, you load up a bow uh, with a whole bunch of arrows and you just quickly load it up and pull it back and and then hope that one of them hits the target mm. versus taking one at a time intentionally being very slow to look at your target and, and hit the bullseye. You know, that's really what we want. And so I feel like that just requires a constant pressing into the Lord, asking him what he has for our family and for our kids and then walking in it. And again, I really believe that it should feel like unforced rhythms of grace. Mm. So 
it should not feel like a constant, heavy burden. I don't think that's what God has for us. I think he wants us to, obviously it's a responsibility and there are going to be times we have to persevere. But if overall we are enjoying our kids and we're enjoying that process of, of educating them and spending time with them, that that's really where God wants us. He wants us to be in a place of peace. Yeah. Cause a lot of parents, when they're thinking about homeschooling in their mind, they think, well, okay, what's going to be our homeschool room. And we probably have to get some desks and then <laughs> I'm going to stand in front of my kids while they sit at the desk. They're just, they're just replacing yeah. school setting yeah. at their home. And that feels like, I don't, my, my kids barely even listen to me when I ask them to like pick up after themselves, you know, after a meal. So how are they going to sit in a desk for eight hours or even four hours while I instruct them? And for those of us who are, yeah, they're not. And so for those of us that have been doing homeschooling, we know that's, that's not at all reality, but maybe paint a picture in your experience on like, what is it? Why is it not that? Yeah. Well, it's not that because that's not how kids learn best. Yeah. Kids learn best doing and experiencing. And, you know, not that every single thing has to be hands-on, but especially in the early years, I'd highly recommend it. Your science in first grade, go out to the backyard, turn over a rock, yeah, hit the bugs, let them yep. play in the, in the mud. I mean, it's that easy. It doesn't, and you'll notice they'll be drawn to something like all of a sudden, you know, they bring a worm to you and you're like, Oh, cool. You know, what is that? Oh, it's a worm. Well, let's, you know, when they come in, maybe we have a couple books that we've pulled off the shelf or we go to the library. We notice they're, they're specifically finding an interest in worms. And so we go, Hey, let's go to the library. Then we learn how to find books at the library. And we talk to the librarian and we bring these things home and we have this pile of stuff that they can go and look at pictures and we can read to them or they can just, if they're reading themselves, they can read. So it looks so different than that. I had a, I had a gal who taught uh, at a college and she was, she had two small children and she was, I think basically saying I could never homeschool. Mm. which I've heard before. And then they're homeschooling before I know it. <laughs> yeah. So she asked me, so how many hours a day do you, do you spend lecturing? I said, zero, <laughs> yeah, yeah, zero, yeah. because that's not, for one thing, it's not my personality. I think you have to take into account who you are as a person, yep. whoever is doing the bulk of the teaching. Like it's usually mom. I'm just not that I'm good at encouraging. I'm good at conversation. I'm good at, I'm very practical. So those are my strengths. Those were the things I brought to the table that were good. And then I grew in some other areas that were weaker, but as parents, we bring strengths to the table. And so a lot of the time, so busy looking at what we think we're not good enough at where we totally lose what we are good at and what yeah. we can bring to the table and all that we do have to offer our kids. And so at my house, we never had a schoolroom. I'm not bashing schoolrooms because sometimes it's nice to have a separate space for that. But I wanted my kids to feel like learning was happening all the time. Like it wasn't, it didn't happen in special learning places. It didn't have to, it could, but yeah. it doesn't have to. And so that, so my kids were hanging off the couch upside down, especially the boys they can't read like normal people. They have to hang off of things right, right. and have their feet up in the air, sit on medicine balls or be making noise while they're doing it. And that's okay. They could never do that in a classroom. Yeah. And so they get to learn the way that they learn best. And all my kids as adults know how they learn best and they continue to pursue a variety of interests and learning new things because they're not afraid to learn it's natural for them. Yeah. And, and so that's really what we want. I mean, in these day and age, things are changing so quickly. We need kids and who turn into adults who can shift 
I mean, they're grounded with principles, like they're rooted in God's word. They're rooted in God's principles. So we want them principled because that's going to keep them grounded through whatever and keep them away from things that aren't good, but they need to be able to shift gears, you know, and this whole idea that they have to focus for hours on one thing is just, it's not realistic. Eventually they can learn to do that and they will do it if it's an interest for them, Yeah, but they're not going to do that in first or second grade. I mean, my kids needed, especially the boys, they would work on a subject and then it was out on the trampoline for 15 minutes and then back to the, another subject and then ride their bike for 15 minutes. And yep. this was great because it was a reset. It reset their brains. They could go back in and they learned so much more quickly and efficiently. And that's the other thing. We know where our kids are, you know, as yeah. we're homeschooling them. So we're not going to waste time on things they already know. We're going to focus on mastering the things that they don't know. And we're going to know exactly where our kids are. And that makes it more efficient as well. We're not wasting a bunch of time. We're not giving them a bunch of busy work. We are focused on real learning and we're giving them that low student teacher ratio that we know is like what, like practically number one, when it comes to a child's educational success is a low student teacher ratio. Me with my eight kids was still a low student teacher. Ratio. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to say you're, you're creeping up to the stand, the, the yeah. normal standards of a ratio here. <laughs> yeah. But it's still but, great. Yeah. Well, and it's the thing about homeschooling for me, it looked a certain way because of my personality, because we had more boys than girls. You can fit and customize your homeschooling around your family life. I always say school should revolve around family, Mm. not family around school. Mm. So learning is just incorporated into so much of family life. And it's just part and parcel to our, from the time we get up to the time we go to bed. Well, I was going to say too, you know, you were saying that you felt guilty that you weren't doing four days a week and you were only doing three. I'm like, those three days were probably more effective than what a kid spends in traditional school because you, with what you just said, I won't repeat all of it because it was so well said, you know, but you can just kind of trim the fat, you know, there's no reason for them to do that. If they already got it, let's move on to this. And you're just so much more efficient. It Uh, is. And I've talked to so many teachers, teachers who are now homeschooling, mm -hmm. which is a, can be a difficult transition. So, because they have to get that mindset yeah. out of their heads and they, they realize it's not working with their own kids, but they love their kids so much that they're willing to make that shift. And it's, it's been so cool to see, but I talked to them and I said, when you were in the classroom, how much time would you say where kids were actually learning? And yep. they said it was a fraction of the time because there's attendance, there's constant interruptions. So, you know, just those few things we, I just mentioned are I think should give every parent confidence that one, they can do this. And two, it does not have to take all day. Yeah. Well, I've gotten to about 10% of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, (laughs) but I'm a hundred percent more energized. Uh, It was just such a, such a good conversation. And I didn't realize you had a podcast, so that's going to be really helpful for our listeners. What's the name of the podcast? Just the Dorenda Wilson podcast. Okay. We'll put a link in the show notes so everyone can go click there. Obviously put your book link and all that. So people can listen to that such a fun conversation. I really am energized coming out of it. And I just want to end by saying, you know, for the parents who are like, who really feel like, I just don't want them to at all feel like beat up because this isn't the route that they're going to take, or they feel called to take. Don't feel beat up. I hope you don't feel that at all. And, and I really just, I guess I would just say, have the courage to just ask God what he wants you to do as a family. And sometimes our fears can stop us from praying bold prayers. Right. And so maybe just say, and oftentimes, uh, sorry, I'll get a little bit 
put my pastor hat on here for a second. But, <laughs> you know, oftentimes too, our first emotion is actually fear, but we will disguise it as something else. Right. And we will try to convince ourselves, well, this doesn't make sense for our family. We don't have time to do it. I'm not a good teacher. All the other things, maybe you get, you feel angry about something, but I guess I would just ask you to ask yourself, try to get back to that first emotion that you're actually feeling. And is your first emotion fear? I'm just scared to do it because I'm afraid I'll fail my kids. That's right. And if that's the case, and if that resonates with you, then take your fears to the Lord mm-hmm. and to ask very honestly with your spouse, I'm scared, but I'm willing to step into a hard conversation with God about what he might be calling our family to do. And, right. I, and I pray that the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom as you step in. Yeah. You know, and I, I'd like to stop right there and just make an offer. I have a devotional that I wrote to sort of prepare the heart of the parent to as they're considering homeschooling. And it takes you through these, a list of questions very much like what you just mm. mentioned. The first part of it is part of it focuses on just your heart towards your children and kind of dealing with your fears and addressing some of the things that might be keeping you from thinking that that it it can happen for you. And then the second part is actually sitting down with your spouse and really talking out what are we afraid of that those questions that just sort of can ruminate back there and you don't really realize they're there. So I am happy to share that link with anybody. Yeah. Give it, send it to us. We'll put it in the show notes. That'll be really helpful. Okay. Yeah. Let's get that in the hands. Yeah. Digital devotional. So yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Thank you for that. That's going to be a huge resource. This was so fun. I really am fired up. I've been, uh, you can tell I'm not feeling well, you know, I got a head cold and stuff and, but I really, I'm, I'm so energized by this conversation. Thank you for taking the time to, to have it with us. Great. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, hope that episode was helpful for you on your journey. Just as a reminder, we do have a family leadership program, which is a way for you to have really practical tools in order to lead your family well. If you feel like you want to be the leader of your home and you just don't really know where to begin, we'd love to have you come join one of our cohorts with other guys who are like-minded who can help point you in the right direction. You can go to dadtire.com forward slash lead. Again, that's dadtire.com forward slash lead to join our next cohort. Love you guys. I'll see you next week. Thank you.